2: Uh, So if he was to travel on that train, he could possibly have hidden in there, um, you know, somewhere under one of the, or near one of the coils or something, so he wasn't observed, and, you know, down at the end where it's concertinaed up uh, and what have you, because they would only come so far down, and, and then grab it and close the wagon off. And then when he gets to Tauranga or wherever... Uh, he could just cut a hole in the tarpaulin
1: and, and slip out if he wanted to. That—that—that's—that's that's one scenario. The tarpaulins are, are quite loose, even though they are fixed. But at the same time, yeah, I'm not sure you could—you could easily cut a hole in it and do that. But yeah, I mean, some of them actually have damage to the tugs. The long train. It's violence that may disturb some people.
0: Today, we can officially announce that New Zealand Steel has cracked the code.
1: On the twenty-first of June, two thousand and four, scientist Jim Donnelly vanished from his work at the Glenbrook. From Brevity Studios in New Zealand, I'm Ryan Wolfe, and this is Guilt.
0: Uh, there was nothing in the early days to indicate that we were looking for somebody who had, um, who had been any misadventure.
1: Hands and knees, and, and you don't know what you're going to find. It started off as a joke and then it got rather scary. I just asked um, if
2: anybody out there has any information that can help me put this um, bridge in home.
1: Thanks again for listening to this podcast. And if you're still listening at episode 12, I'm guessing you're finding it tolerable. Don't forget if you'd like to get early access, ad free listening, and bonus content, you can subscribe to our Brevity Plus channel on Apple Podcasts. Or for non Apple listeners, you can also subscribe via our ACAST Plus subscription. You'll find the link in the description of every episode. As a thank you to those who do support the podcast, there will be a subscriber-only complete episode titled Hearsay, available very soon. Thanks again, and let's get into it. Just a warning, this episode discusses difficult topics, including suicide. Discretion is advised. Water gives life, but it can also take away as we're tragically witnessing in this, our New Zealand summer, with record numbers of beach drowning incidents. And it's water that will be the subject of this episode. NZ Steel has two key patches of water in its vicinity. The most obvious being the Waiuku River, or estuary, which is immediately adjacent to the mill on its western side. The other is situated exactly 1,000 metres to the south of NZ Steel. If you jump on Google Maps, you'll see a collection of large ponds. These are oxidation ponds for the Waiuku-Glenbrook area and measure approximately 500 metres by 300 metres. They appear rather ominous from above via satellite view and they have long been the subject of much speculation that somehow... Jim may have ended up here, and his body was never found. We know from speaking with Dave Glossop in episode 2 that these ponds were never searched, which at the time I thought seemed to be an oversight. But to be honest, I really had no knowledge of how these ponds operate or exactly what they're made up of, so couldn't really be sure if this was an error or not. Ultimately, I knew that the only way to end this speculation and put it beyond doubt, would be to visit the ponds myself and learn exactly how they do operate and whether it was even feasible that a body could end up here and never be found. No sign of this technician yet, so I'm going to go down. Oh, hang on, here we go. Hello, Ryan speaking.
0: Hey Ryan, it's Robin here. Um, I'm, I'm literally on my way to you. I'm running a little bit late. Is that much of an issue?
1: Oh no, that's okay. I just I was just making sure I was in the right place. I, I, yes, it, you are. Is I'm, it,
0: a, I'm about 20 minutes out. Is that alright? Okay, is it at
1: that place where there's a gate saying hazardous, don't enter? Yes, that's correct. So you
0: just park
1: on the top. Okay, sweet. Okay, yeah, I'll wait for you we'll, here.
0: And I'll be over shortly. There'll be another group of guys coming to Waiuku.
1: They should be there shortly. Okay, cool. Thanks, Robin. I'm waiting at the entrance gate to a long drive that extends down and over a hill out of view. The Waiuku River is visible in the distance. The tide is out, so almost the entire river is mud, which makes me think about the volume of water that must sweep in and out at the changing of the tide. But I'm not here to think about the river. I'm meeting Robin, a technician from WaterCare who are contracted to operate a number of oxidation facilities in the wider Auckland area. They've kindly agreed to give me a private tour of the site so that I can get a more in-depth understanding of how the ponds work. It's a stunning New Zealand summer's day, not a cloud in the sky, rolling fields and the river beyond. It really is a beautiful area of the world. I can't help but think of the stark contrast between that and the no doubt darker reason I'm visiting the site. Nonetheless, I sit back and enjoy the silent summer's day while I wait. Robin arrives and he's a cheerful South African-born Kiwi. We sign in and jump in his truck and make our way down the drive. Cresting the hill, the ponds come into view. They're big, bigger than I'd thought. But Robin informs me that in the big scheme of things, they're pretty standard, really. There was
0: a comment online I read a long time ago about somebody that got lost on, uh, that, that that could be in the oxidation ponds. Personally, I've been out here all the time. So, um, I've been with Watercare 13 years. Yeah. So um, And out of that, I would say eight of it, I've been on on these outside sites. And I've never, yeah, I've never, I've had people come, around looking, but, uh, like, looking for answers, but nothing, um, Yeah, it was it was really nothing. Yeah. It, the site has been very quiet. There's not, nothing suspicious or anything like yeah. that. So.
1: Um, so we're just coming in to the main gate now. So we've come down a hill. See, it's quite large, the pond. I mean, I'm not sure. It's probably two or three hundred metres across one way and then maybe yeah two or three hundred the other way a lot of ducks on it there's one two three four there's four spots where there seems to be sort of water wheels that are coming out of the water turning um obviously the purpose there i guess is to agitate the water um, but i guess we'll find out more we make our way down the track to a small building where we pull over and stop next to the largest pond we jump out and I ask Robin to explain the process of what the ponds are and how they operate. So you've been doing this for 13 years? Yes, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. From South Africa?
0: Yeah, uh, actually I was, I was actually, I came over when I was 15. Oh
1: yeah, So I yeah, nothing, your accent's I not that strong,
0: <laughs> just a little, little bit. <laughs> yeah, a very long time. Yeah, from Cape Town? Uh, no, I'm from Johannesburg. Oh yeah, yeah. I was going to say
1: Johannesburg and then I, I thought, no, everyone, <laughs> everyone's from Cape Town. Um... Yeah, okay, and so. This is, this
0: is where your main line comes in from the wastewater that comes from the town. So the Wayuku comes up this pipeline, so all this waste comes up the pipeline. It goes to a step screen. Step screen takes everything up to 3 mil out of the water. So that's it there. Okay. Currently, the step screen's out because of servicing. Uh, I've had an issue with it, so they've taken it away and they're servicing it. That happened just a day or two ago. So this will take everything out. So currently, what we're doing is we're running a bypass. So The bypass goes to the pond. The pond is, of course, an oxidation pond, so your sludge will settle out at the bottom, your good water comes to the top, and then we leave the sludge in the bottom, and the flow will go from one pond to the next pond. And then what we do with that flow is we put it on the gravel bed, which you drove past, and then we go from there. So yeah, so let's back get, up a little bit. Sorry, when you deal. said,
1: like, obviously an oxidation pond, I don't really know. So is this sewerage? Yes, this is wastewater. Okay.
0: This is wastewater. This is um, where all the poos and wees go. Yeah. This is where, uh, this is one of the steps of the treatment of an oxidation pond. Is It's, it's a separation of both. And not only that, you've got the aerators on that will help with the biological life, putting air, air into the water to help with the biological. So, um... The way it really works is uh Waiuku's a little bit different because uh, actually all ponds are the same. So um, they, they've got a set, set depth. Normal ponds are roughly around uh, 2.5 uh, two two meters deep. The reason for the depth, uh, the reason for, because it's so shallow is because they u- they use wind to add oxygen. Because we've got aerators, we could go deeper. So these ponds are roughly, but anywhere between two and five meters deep. Okay. So it's actually not that deep. If you think five meters, you think two meters. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a- that that deep. So it all goes into the first pond, and where the first pond is is where the um where the where the liquids separate. It's just like a settling pond, oxidation yeah. pond. And then it goes from here, it goes into the next pond, and then it goes to gravel. There's not really too much that I can...
1: Yeah, so, so these that. things here, they're agitating the water to...
0: Just add oxygen, just add oxygen, that's yeah. all it's doing. So that's why we've got to set it in, set in certain spots so that the flow can continuously turn around before it goes to the main. Because if, it, if all the flow was just coming in here, it'll bypass everything and go straight to the next pond. Right. So what we're doing is we're actually creating a little bit of a, a swirl, if you must... Just to
1: uh, get that oxygen transfer into the water. And so there's a bacteria or something in the water or something like that, is yes, there? So
0: when the sludge settles out, it's got its own biological sequence that it goes through. So we use photosynthesis, which is um, using light, UV light, to disinfect water. So we go down those lines.
1: Yeah. So. And just obviously the oxygen helps speed up that process. Yes. Yep.
0: Yes, that's, that's it. So I'll just show you what comes through. Yeah, yeah, so of course. Uh, Samir's just changing the bag, but this is the sort of stuff that the screen takes out.
1: Okay, not so what are we? What are the, we? The, what the, are we looking at? Yeah. So that's
0: like rags, inorganics, stuff that people flush down the toilet. It's not pleasant, and it causes a lot of problems in the system. But we have to remove it because otherwise, these rags will just be floating around.
1: Yeah, right. Are those? I mean, are those like tampons or something?
0: Tampons, like? rags, um, pigs. Yeah, you can see that's. Uh, yeah, liners. this is what
1: you shouldn't put down the toilet. Pretty much, yes, yeah, yeah.
0: and this is what causes blockages when it comes to pumps. For instance, over, over yeah, we are okay, but we've got pump stations further around the town, and all of this gets blocked in the pump, and then you have to send somebody out, lift it out, clean it all out, bag it, dump it, and then put oh, the pump back Jesus. in the side again. So that's the issues that we face with wastewater yep. in, any, in any place, in yep. any place all, all, all around New Zealand, that's the issue.
1: Robin said it best. This is where the poos and we's go. It smells but actually surprisingly not too bad when you visit the long john whatever goes in is pumped here firstly into this large pond and during this process a screen will catch all the things that shouldn't be in there if you put something down the toilet that shouldn't be there someone at the other end literally has to remove it by hand but my interest in these ponds is isn't to do with the things that come here from your toilet. I'm interested in things that may have been put in here directly. So, is this the first pond that the wastewater comes to? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. It's actually, it doesn't smell that bad, really. Like, it's a little bit, but not much.
0: No. It only stinks because of the, the rain yeah. in
1: front of you. Okay, and this, this is for just the Waiuku area, basically? Yes, this yeah. is just for the Waiuku area. That's correct. Yeah. So, it comes in here... Gets agitated by these, and, and then it sort of moves on down that direction. That's correct. Yes. Okay, and that's another smaller one of these, is it, or just? Uh, no, no. It's it's purely it's purely gravity
0: fed. So okay. from from this point onwards, it goes into the pond, and then it's gravity fed to the second pond. Yeah. Okay. And then from the second pond, we got a pump station, just a, a normal pump station that has uh, four pumps in it that pumps it up to the gravel bed.
1: Yeah. Um. In your experience, have you ever had like a cow or a sheep or something like that end up falling in the pond? No. Never had that no. happen?
0: Uh, generally, the farmer keeps his stuff up further Yeah. Uh, on the top paddocks. So These paddocks are, are are rented by another farmer, so they keep their, their sheep and everything up. They're normally cows now, beef yeah. cows. At some stage, we did have sheep around here, but we never had really any issues.
1: Just to be clear, the oxidation ponds and the entire facility are surrounded by a large eight-foot fence with a locked entrance. A sheep. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, people say, you know, if you put a body or something in here, that I try to imagine what might happen to it. Um, so I guess if you've got this biological material, it's designed to break things down digest, quickly, isn't it? Digest, yes, yes. Um, um. So if you, yeah. Let's say hypothetically, if you did put something in here, it probably
0: would break down. It would be quite a task to do that. It would be mm. very well thought out, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how often do, do people come down here, like, to check on um,
0: So, uh, we normally come three times a week. Oh, three, so times, three times a three week. Three times a week, we wow. come down, do our checks. Uh, we take uh, samples from this every Wednesday to see what's in the water, to see what the settling is, to see what... Um, how much ammonia is in it, for instance, for consent purposes, so we come out quite regularly to come and see what's happening. Yeah. Temperature,
1: DOs. And and I mean, just looking here, I mean, the slope, I'm imagining okay, if I come here to put a body in, you know, you're gonna it's quite a, it's not like a steep bank you're throwing it off, and it's probably a body would probably just end up eventually churning up. (laughs) You'd you'd see something eventually,
0: wouldn't you? So, um, this Increase piece of the wave band is actually really really slippery like really yeah. slippery so generally we only go up to the white mark but when we do it's life jacket
1: and all the right. rest the uh, yeah I guess because it's all that biological material must be extreme uh,
0: it's a little bit it's algae it's just like the rocks uh, like the rocks at the beach yeah. it's really really slippery
1: so yeah
0: but as far as yeah as far as safety goes it's
1: yeah fairly safe, um, In it, like, safe. yeah I mean and coming out here I mean, it's certainly not something that I think would be possible. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, weigh a body down and slip it in. It, it's, yeah, like, it's, it's, there's too much down. movement. Yeah. Way, too, like, way too much movement. Yeah, first impressions. Um, just looking at this place, these agitators, they're quite big. I mean, imagine sort of like a a big wheel that's got like a big corkscrew. It's probably about two feet high three feet high and it's moving quite fast so it's agitating that water really quickly so I'd imagine if you threw something in here you know these things are designed to create movement so if something went in here it's like it's gonna it's gonna come to the surface or, or get moved around I would say but yeah we're gonna go look at another pond now so after the wastewater enters the first large pond the water is kept constantly moving by the four large aerators. The water is then gravity-fed from pond one to pond two.
0: So this is the second pond. So everything sits in the first pond, then it goes to the second pond. They're almost alike, just smaller in, in space. Got um, the pipeline, the exit from the pond. Oh
1: yeah, I got yeah. Which
0: goes underneath and, and then comes out the other side, and where you see that little swirl over there, yeah, that's the the exit. So um, we we allow more, we actually give more air by using uh, hydraulics. Okay. Because uh, back in the day, what they did was they didn't have aerators, so what they did was they would do step downs or waterfalls or something to that extent. So and here, yeah, we've got a pipe that comes in quite high then it drops off down to the bottom of the pond. It's got a wooden structure, so it it, it creates, it makes the air get stuck in the water. Yeah, okay. And then it comes out at the bottom. Gotcha. So it's literally quite a deep drop over here.
1: The water is aerated and circulated in Pond 1. It then makes its way to the northern end of the pond, where it passes through a narrow pipe and also a step-down waterfall. Robin swings open a large steel hatch where we see the water rushing underneath.
0: Yeah, That's got a wooden structure
1: inside of it. I mean, I I
0: can show you. Just so you can get some sort of one. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, definitely.
0: We catch any rag that comes through.
1: Oh, yep. So it's got a basket, and then it's got another wooden structure underneath. So it's creating fear. how, How big is that? How big's the pipe? Because anything that went in here is ultimately going to end up jamming into this, isn't it? Yes, yes, yes. If a body went in here, it would eventually sweep down to this corner and either get, and block that drain. Block that, and then we would know if fi- wrong. And then yeah. you would find it. That's, that's correct. So, I mean, that's really it there, isn't it? Yeah.
0: In a nutshell.
1: <laughs> in a nutshell, that's it.
0: Yeah. So, um... Uh, this over here, what happened was back in the day, because the technology wasn't as advanced and we didn't know much, uh, when they were still building, still relatively new to oxidation ponds, they put uh, instead of the wave band, they had the wave band on the top and they put tires down, old tires. they're right. like, we can recycle, we <laughs> can reuse these tires. And now and again, we get a tire that will block the end of the, the, the pipeline. So, yeah,
1: so yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah, yeah.
0: So, if there was anything that came through, we would have picked it up pretty much straight yeah. away
1: definitely you That's can almost sort of you today. can actually sort of almost see the movement on the top just the, yes. s- the slow you know
0: when the wind blows you can actually see it crashing yeah you know, the crashing on the, on the top we have had people on the boat that was spreading um uh, spreading some chemicals out for mosquitoes and stuff they've been up and down on the on the boat to um just to break up the larvae and everything and i mean they, their motors. sits you know, decent 1.5 metres deep. So if there was anything that was sticking up, it would have picked it up. Yeah.
1: But like you said, at the very most, it would be five metres, but maybe yeah. mainly more like two and a half sort of uh,
0: thing. Uh, three. Just go three yep. three to five. Yep. But generally,
1: two, yeah, two, two. So pretty bloody shallow. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It's not that. No.
0: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host.
1: Shallow, constantly moving, and gravity fed. These are the key reasons why I don't believe gyms or any other body could be put in these oxidation ponds and not be quickly discovered. It's very difficult to weigh a body down and have it lie flat. The ponds are not deep, and anything that did enter the pond, like a body and its clothes, would end up jamming in the pipe between the two ponds. Also consider that these ponds are frequented multiple times a week by staff. If you were looking to dispose of a body in a location where it might not be found, this would not be a good place. NZ Steel also has its own smaller oxidation pond which, of course, I don't have access to. And while I cannot say with 100% certainty, I understand it operates in more or less the same manner. As such, it seems highly unlikely Jim's body could have ended up there. Robin shows me through the remaining parts of the process, which involve large gravel beds for further filtration. And to be honest, I found it really interesting. Having a better appreciation of what's going on behind the scenes in our lives is certainly something we could all benefit from. And from what I saw, Watercare and their team are incredibly diligent and passionate about delivering the highest possible service. I thank Robin for his time and make my way back down Williams Road, feeling good that in my mind I've eliminated this as a realistic possibility. But while driving back down the road, there's something that's really catching my attention. Cows. Lots. Of cows. Just leaving Williams Road after talking to the water care guys. Thanks, Robin, for that. Um, you know, there's cows everywhere. There's a paddock with bulls in it literally right next to the mill. I mean, there's no doubt that this is an area that has cows all over the place. It's quite reasonable that if Jim went running through the paddocks, He could have got cow shit all over him. And I mean, I think that's what's happened. You know, I was wondering if maybe these paddocks didn't really have cows, but they clearly do. Hey, mate, how are you? Jackson or Clive? Are you? Oh, yeah, I think I was just talking to your wife down the road there. On my way out, I speak to a few locals I run across. I'm keen to chat to whoever holds the lease for the land just beyond the mill. It's an area I've never looked at personally, and obviously I can't go traipsing across private property. I'm told I've just missed the man I'm looking for, but decide to head up along the public roads and take a look. As I drive along, I can't help but notice just how many pockets of thick bush lie in the close vicinity of the mill. There really seems to be so many places to potentially hide. Of course, remaining hidden and not being seen by anyone is another story, but it certainly seems possible. I turn down the first road to the north of the mill, Brookside Road, and within a few hundred metres, I pull over. Directly below, to the south, are a few green fields, and in stark contrast, looming far overhead, is the huge mass of the steel plant. It looms ominously, in a dark, but I must admit, spectacular way, a stark contrast to the surrounding environment. In the foreground, there's something quite different, and the real reason I pulled over. (coughs) I've just driven up past the mill to the north. I'm probably 500 metres away. Um, and I, I just drove past a spot and I had to stop and, and get out. So I can see the steel plant down below me and it it looks scary. It really does. I'm going to take a photo of this and put it on my Instagram if you want to check it out. But I've where I'm standing right now, perfectly in the foreground, right in front of me, within 500 metres of the mill, I've literally got cattle yards. I mean, cattle yards where you would, you know, process cattle. There's absolutely no doubt that this area has been used for cattle, and I'm not a long way away. I could I could make it to the mill from here in five minutes, ten minutes. And I'm going over this point again and again, but I just want to make it clear that there would have been cow shit everywhere, and particularly to the north. I make my way a distance down the road and see even more fields full of cows. I've seen enough for the day, and confident I've answered two important questions. Could Jim have been disposed of in the oxidation ponds? No. Were there sufficient cows surrounding the mill to possibly cause the cow shit on Jim's pants? Most definitely. I can quite specifically remember the moment I learned about this case and what I did. I jumped on the computer and looked up aerial photos of NZ Steel and its surrounding environment. I'll admit I was almost dismayed when I saw that directly adjacent to the mill, no more than twenty metres away in some spots, was the wide expanse of the Waiuku River. In some places, the river is up to 1.2 kilometres wide. This stretch of water is no joke, and at first glance to me seemed the obvious way a person could disappear without a trace. Over time, My belief on whether this was indeed what happened has waned some, but it is still something that cannot be ignored. Could Jim have tried to swim across for some reason? Has Jim been disposed of here? Or possibly, tragically decided to take his own life and then never been found? I knew that to better understand whether this was a possibility, I needed to speak to the people that make the protection of human life in this area their responsibility. The Waiuku Coast Guard. Hey, good day, mate. Hey, Dean, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Good, good. Um, all good to have a chat now?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just turning the strike on me barbie, mate. So you go, all good, This, all good.
1: Okay, all right, sweet. What an intro. If you didn't know where in the world we were, I'm pretty sure you do now. If Aussies throw shrimp on the barbie, I guess we throw steak. I'd planned to meet Dean in person, but unfortunately, a last-minute schedule change made that impossible. So I managed to grab a moment of his time on the phone. Dean is the president of the Waiuku Coast Guard, responsible for sea rescue in the Waiuku and Manukau areas. Mm -hmm. When I first sort of took this case on, I remember I looked on Google Maps just to see where the mill was, and I saw the water there, and I thought, "Well, shit." I mean, there's that kind of looked to me as the first culprit. Um, and I haven't really done much looking into it yet, but I've heard from um, a few people that it can be pretty nasty. Um, so yeah, um, you need you need to define nasty, mate. In
2: that, um, to the best of my knowledge, um, it we've not had any significant or serious boating incidents or. Drownings or fatalities in the waterway. That's not to say there haven't been a couple of close calls. And I was involved involved with that in the south, where kids will jump off the pontoon at, say, Titoro, which is down the river a bit. And with uh, high tidal flow, because it's a very narrow waterway, and when the tide is going out, it fair rushes out and they get swept away quickly. Um, But uh, I'm aware of two incidents of that where uh, that occurred, but the people were rescued. So, um, but in terms of it being dangerous or rough, uh, often if it's a miserable day out on the harbour, you'll go up that way and find a quiet place and tuck in and have a little fish or a cup of tea or whatever, because it's still relatively calm. Oh, okay. The issue is, is the high tidal flow, principally um, when the tide's going up. So obviously you've got it coming in, and there is a fair current that runs up there. It's probably about one to two knots of uh, current speed. But it's more pronounced or appears more pronounced on the outgoing tide because all that water's got to get out in a hurry. So it really races out. Um, So if you get into that waterway, uh, and get out into the depth then, and into the current, then, yes, you'll be swept along quickly, without a doubt. And if you are not a competent swimmer or competent in the water, you will, you will get into trouble. Now, the smart thing would be you'd swim with the current diagonally and just head for the shore because it's not that far, to be fair, in a lot of
0: places.
1: Yeah.
2: <clears throat> but the reality is that most people don't think like that and then try and fight it and um, or panic, and, and then they're in trouble. Mm.
1: Yeah. So, yeah,
2: it is, it, is, it is definitely a way for, for someone to be swept away. As I say, we've had a couple of cases as I was standing there one day and the kid jumped off the pontoon at Titoro, and by the time he popped back up, he was 200 metres downriver. Wow. So we launched the boat and went back and got him. Um, and if it hadn't have been for us, there's probably a very good chance he would have been a fatality. Yeah. But And there was one at Glenbrook that did the same. He was uh, playing around on the beach and probably took half a dozen steps too far and got into the main current and bingo, they're gone.
1: Mm. So And that, again, he
2: was yeah. picked up. Yeah.
1: So in the right conditions, you know, that tide outgoing, you know. Yep. Let's say hypothetically the tide's outgoing and you were to try to swim to the other side, you'd have a hard time doing that. Oh,
2: yeah, you would. Like, To be fair, my my son's a lifeguard here. He's a very good one, good swimmer. He would struggle to get across the Waiuku River when it's flooding out. Yeah, like there's no way you'd go a straight line. You'd end up, you'd get across, but you'd probably be half a mile to a mile down river.
1: Mm. Plus, we're talking about June, so it'd be pretty cold out there. I'd imagine.
2: Yeah. Now that's that's the next thing is if no matter what the water current is if you get into that at the wrong time in June and stuff, you've probably got less than, uh, there's probably some formula for it, but probably only an hour or more before hypothermia would set in, and, and particularly if you're not dressed for it. In other words, if you jump in in a pair of togs or a you know uh, clothing, um, the hypothermia will get you really quick. Mm. Even in the middle of summer, you've probably only got two or three hours when the water temperature is up around 20 degrees. Yeah. a bit of a misnomer that New Zealand waters are are okay. They're still quite cold, comparatively speaking.
1: Yeah. especially. Yeah. I mean, probably even more so as well. Would it be on, on that west coast?
2: Um, uh, no, no. Well, well, yes, yes, certainly the west coast can be a bit colder than, say, the east coast at any given time. But it depends a wee bit on the weather patterns and the uh, ocean currents. But, um, you know, it's not until... Now, going through to February, March, that the West Coast water temperature comes up above 20 degrees. Mm, yeah. You know, um, otherwise it sits around probably 15, 16 degrees. And in the middle of winter, probably a bit lower. Yeah. 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 And then. So, yeah. so, hyper- yeah, so hi- often in New Zealand, you, you probably get some better research on this from the likes of Water Safety in New Zealand and that. Um, people drown. But that's a consequence of having got hypothermia and going unconscious. Right, yeah. You know, so that's the end result. So, yes, they have drowned. But the reality is they uh, were unable to continue to uh, manage the conditions because they were so bloody cold, they were unconscious, and that's the end of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what area – so you guys are the Waiuku Coast Guard. (laughs) What area do you guys – how far down do you go?
2: Oh, so we do – basically the Manukau Harbour out off the west coast, and we also do uh, the Waikato River, Port Port Waikato Hood's Landing down that way.
1: Oh, so that's quite a big area. We went over this in an earlier episode, but let's just quickly recap. The Waiku River winds its way past NZ Steel and eventually becomes the Waiku Estuary, which feeds into the much, much larger Manukau Harbour. The Manukau Harbour then feeds out into the Tasman Sea, on the west coast of New Zealand. If there's a call out in the Manukau Harbour, that's you guys.
2: Yep, yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, yep. I would, I'd imagine there would have been plenty of drownings in that area over time.
2: Um, so, well, so we had that rather unfortunate incident just before Christmas where a boat overturned on the Manukau Harbour and um, uh, a lady and her son uh, perished and the young fellow still missing.
1: Oh, yeah, I know the one. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And then um, almost this time last year or a bit earlier, there was a boat that overturned on the Manikau Bar. I think three guys
1: uh, succumbed to the conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And so the one – so, I mean, if we could – And there are
2: and – sorry, and there are others. Those are just two that spring to mind quickly.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if we sort of thought if the conditions are right – I mean, someone that, you know, goes overturns or something in the harbour, what happens – will they get swept out to sea – or what happens there? Like, where does the flow go? Oh,
2: so it all goes out through the Manukau heads, yeah. ultimately. So it um, uh, depends on which, like, it's so an incoming tide, they'll come back up the harbour. And because of the shape of the harbour and all of that stuff, it just depends um, whereabouts in the harbour the incident took place as to where they'll end up. Uh, but then ultimately, um, it's not uncommon after a few days for the um bodies to come ashore sort of up towards Piha and Muriwai and places like that
1: also quite a ways north
2: yeah yeah and if they come out of the Waikato river same thing they could be um out off uh, Keratahi up that west coast and even further and then past the Manukau bar up towards again Karikari and Piha
1: um yeah so so if someone if someone in the sort of wrong circumstances were to get swept out of the river into the harbour, and if we assume, and if they had deceased at this point, you know, it's quite possible they would be swept right out.
2: Uh, potentially, yeah. It's, um, the, the trouble is, um, unless you physically find the body, you never know where they will end up. But there are so many variables in the process, you know. Um, is it a big tide or a small tide? And then wind direction has a lot to do with it. Uh, that affects the swell and the wave action and then the other thing that affects it is actually the, the person themselves you know how quickly did they go straight down did they float for a while um, having gone down how soon in the process did they come back up near the surface due to the uh, body gases building up so you know it could be one day, it could be three days it just depends and therefore, when that happens, it'll change how they drift. Yeah. So, um, you know, there are, there are guidelines, but it's not an absolute science.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I suppose what I'm trying to figure is, you know, if, if, if it would be possible, I mean, what would be the likelihood of if someone did go in there and, and drown, um, the likelihood that they might actually just never be found?
2: Oh, hi. Hi. Yeah. It, it, if you don't, you don't. It, I'd have to. You'd have to find the numbers to to verify my anecdotal comment here. But if you don't find the person, probably within the first uh, up to ten days, yeah. you probably won't find them. Yeah. Mm. Because within that period, they will have um, possibly come back up and been washed ashore. Uh, And then after that, they are then at the mercy of the sea and gone. Yeah. For any number of reasons.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like a possibility. Um,
2: Yep. Oh, look, there's a possibility that um, that I, 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 I didn't get involved in the case, so I don't know the fine details, but, you know, if for some reason that's where he ended up, then... No, that is a possibility, like any number of other uh, theories they've got around it,
1: I guess. I don't have the specific figures, RE, probability of finding the body. But really, the point here is that a person that was swept into the Manukau Harbour has a very real chance of never being found. As Mark mentioned, tragically, a young man that was in a boat that capsized only recently has never been located. If Jim had entered the water then we could only wildly speculate as to when this might have occurred so we won't but needless to say the tide was sweeping out into the manukau harbor every day i mean it, it still wouldn't be logical to get in the water at that time but no but you no. Know, if, if he did for some reason um even if it was he even if it, he decided to that was how he was going to end his life just to walk out into the water which would be, which would yeah. be weird but if he did then i'm interested to know you know how you know that's interesting, he may ne- that may result in him never being found. Um, yeah,
2: that's right. There are a number of cases around the country where people have um ended their lives uh by just basically going out into the water and to a, to a point where they'll not be able to get back.
1: Yeah, well, that's so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, so it's not unheard of.
2: Uh, no, but then again, I don't follow suicide statistics because it's not an area I'm involved with, but I am aware that... Um, uh, so when we look at the drowning toll in New Zealand, we don't include those that have ended their life deliberately by using the water. Yeah. And that's not always the sea, I might add. Um, it's a rather... It's a sensitive issue, so I don't get too involved.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so, so you actually said that in that area, though, you know, drownings and stuff. So, it's not actually a common occurrence in that exact spot.
2: No, no, I, I am not aware of any um, fatality, but that's not to say that be, before my time um, it didn't happen um, yep. or it has happened at a, at a very local level.
1: Yeah. How long have you been there, Dan?
2: Uh, I've been around the area for about 25 years.
1: Oh, yeah, and always with the Coast Guard there? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so you've, yeah. you've, there won't be many people with more extensive knowledge than you. Yeah, I was just generally interested in sort of yeah that area. Yep. And and um, I think you've answered my question, what I thought that you know the tide sucks out there pretty quick. Yeah, it uh, does. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right. Well, hey, um, thanks for that, Dean. Enjoy your steak. Okay. Um, you've, right, you've let it rest for a bit now. I
2: yeah. have. I have. <laughs> okay. Thank you,
1: thanks. Have a good See night. You. Cheers, mate. Is it possible that among all the different elaborate theories regarding Jim's disappearance, that the answer is right there, only meters from the mill? Occam's razor would tell us that in most situations, the simplest, most straightforward answer is normally the truth. So is it possible that Jim did somehow enter the water? Perhaps with some aim to reach the other side and avoid detection, or, more tragically, to end his life. Remember, the police did conduct a waterborne search of this area, but it didn't take place until 9am on Wednesday the 23rd, a full two days after Jim was last seen. And given the strength of the outgoing tide, his body would likely be in the Manukau Harbour, or beyond by this point. But of course, there are things which would seem to refute this likelihood. Why would Jim change his pants if ultimately he planned on entering the water? Occasionally, skeletons are found along coastlines, but almost 20 years later, this would seem an unlikely scenario. And it seems that any theory about Jim entering the water will always remain just that, a theory. A possibility, albeit remote. Just another piece of the seemingly unsolvable puzzle that is the search for Jim Donnelly. Guilt is written, produced and edited by me, Ryan Wolf. The title track is Nuclear Conception by Alison Winter. You'll find further photos and videos related to this podcast on my Instagram, Ryan Wolf NZ, or our Facebook page, Brevity Studios NZ. You can discuss the case with other listeners on our Facebook group, the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. If you want to support this podcast and help make more great content, plus get an ad-free listening experience and bonus content, you can subscribe for the price of a coffee on Apple Plus under our Brevity Studios channel. Or for non-Apple listeners, you can now subscribe on ACAST+. You'll find the link in the description of this episode. You can also find further information on our website, theguiltpodcast.com. If you have any information related to the disappearance of Jim Donnelly, you can contact us anonymously at brevitystudiosnz at gmail.com.